the word the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. I forget that. I forget that often. Um, you know what I remember? You know the things I like to talk about? I like to talk about how the word is a religious system. I like that. I like how we, we usher in the next 500 years and we say it's, it's because we're going to be a different kind of religious system. But I forget that the word has become flesh and dwelt among us. So I like that the word is a, a theological checklist, right? It's easy for me to talk about the things that I'm for and the things that I'm against, this theological checklist. It's an easy thing to do, but I forget that the word is flesh and is dwelt among us. I like the emotional experiences. I like the ecstatic experiences. Those are good. I like when I feel something at church or feel something when I'm worshiping. But then I forget that the word is is flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and I like the political parts of, of church. I like the fact that Jesus was political. I talk about that a lot. But the word was flesh and it dwelt among us. And I forget that. And this time during pandemic, when there's so much unknown, when our adrenaline is no longer... Anything that we had where we started this crisis off with a ton of energy and with a ton of like, yeah, let's go, you know, change the world. And let's go challenge people. and Let's go fix things like that is gone. And it's been replaced with being tired and a little bit of hopelessness and a lot of sadness. And so when that's the case, I want the word to become flesh. I want the word to become flesh. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory, like God, like son. Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. What does it mean for the word to become flesh? What does it mean for the word to embody a human being? And what does it mean for the word to embody us? So what I want to do is I want to tell you all a story. And it's a Bible story, so I'll try to keep it interesting. Um, but I need you all to embody this with me. I need you to listen with me. I need you to put yourself uh, right around, let's say, 50 AD. Okay, let's put ourselves right around there, maybe even a little, a little sooner than that, a little bit before that. Um, and let's talk about this group called The Way. Now, The Way, they were people who followed this guy, Jesus. And there weren't that many of them, hundreds maybe. And... Um, they had no place where they lived, so to speak. You see, they, they're Jewish by tradition and culture, and so they followed those traditions and cultures, but their families kind of ostracized them. They're like, this way thing is a cult, and we don't need cults around, so please get out of here. And not only that, but the empire, the government, saw them as an issue as well. They were civilly disobedient to the Roman Empire. So you have this group that follows Jesus, no place to really lay their heads, and they're civilly disobedient. How are they civilly disobedient? Well, the Roman Empire, they had this thing that they called the Ecclesia. Ecclesia simply means called out. So what they would do is they would call out all their noble people and all their senators and, and anyone who had status or prominence. And they'd say, OK, let's all get together and let's all work um, to make the empire a lot better and a lot greater. And they would do that by making sure the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. I don't know where we've heard of that before. It's not common. I'm being sarcastic. And what happened was... The, the way, the members of the way said, all right, Roman, this is the way you're going to do it. We're going to set up our own ecclesia. And what we're going to do is we're going to invite everybody, those who are enslaved, women who are considered second-class citizens, those who have nothing, who are poor, and those who have everything, those who are rich. And we're all going to come together, and we are all going to do what's best for one another. Now, here's the thing, and this is the thing. 
This made them scandalous. In fact, this made them treasonous. In fact, they could get arrested for this. But here's the thing that they could get arrested for. You ready? They could get arrested for eating together. For eating together. And that's what they did. Every week they ate together. Every week, uh, the, the people who were enslaved ate with people who were rich, and that was against the law. You were only allowed to eat with the same people in your socioeconomic class. And, and women were eating with men, and that was also against the law because women could never eat with a man. In fact, women had to wait till men were finished eating before they could even sit down. And the enslaved people, enslaved people sat at tables usually with the children. That's where they, they had to sit. But they all sat together every single Sunday. And they met on Sundays because... It was the time when, quote-unquote, a relatively good master would allow enslaved people to have off. So they met on Sunday, and they got together, and they ate together in defiance of law. And then what they did is they talked about what they needed. And they would all gather together, and they would say, this is what we need. And what would happen, as Scripture tells us, is that everybody sold possessions when they needed to be sold. Everybody pooled all their resources, and when people were in need, they gave it to the other people sitting at their table. And in doing so, the word became flesh. You see, church, word becomes flesh when there are no longer people in need. When we pull resources together and we say that there are people who are hurting and there are people who are have more, and let's even this out so that the people who have more give more and the people who are in need receive more. And the word becomes flesh. But the way, you know, they cause trouble. And so there's this religious leader. He's got a lot of political clout. He's got a lot of legal clout. You know, he had the large Twitter following. He was that crazy right-wing Twitter person. And you know what? He was like the kind of pastor that still had church during the quarantine. He was that kind of guy. Like, we know that kind of guy, right? And he hated the way. Couldn't stand the way. The way was an affront to his nationalism and to his systems of religion. So what did he do? They actually killed one another the way found one of their leaders, this guy, Stephen. He takes him and he stones him. You know how angry you need to be to stone somebody? Stones him, inflicts massive pain on him, kills him, and, and, and says, this is the right thing to do. This is what happens when you get in the way of religious systems and theological checklists. And this is what happens when you get in the way of worship. But, but the word became flesh, and the word became flesh because this killer was blinded. And he was blinded for three days. While he was blinded, he said, this must be God telling me something. And sure enough, this stranger shows up. And the stranger takes this, this blind killer and says to the blind killer, come, you're going to live with me. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to make sure you're okay while you're blind. And after three days, this man was no longer blinded. He opens his eyes. And guess who is there? A member of the way. A guy named Ananias. A guy who watched his friend killed. And here he is housing him, caring for him. Because you see, the word becomes flesh when we practice radical reconciliation. That is when the word becomes flesh. You know what I've been doing lately, church? I've been calling people stupid a lot. I read social media, watch the news, and I'm like, that person's stupid. And maybe I can't house someone who's temporarily blind and they're a killer, but you know what I can start doing? Instead of saying, hey, that person is so stupid, I can start saying, hey, that person is scared. And they're scared just like I'm scared. And to me, that's a little bit of reconciliation. It's me saying to my enemy, I see you as a human the same way God does. That's the word embodying the flesh. We embody the flesh 
in the midst of radical reconciliation. So this guy, this killer, his name's Paul. Paul's like, you know what, I'm going to go out and preach. And I'm going to preach about Jesus Christ because that was another worldly experience I just had. And I'm going to make sure that people understand what the way is all about. And so he goes to this place called Philippi. Now, Philippi, they love the Roman Empire. Philippi, you know, they, they had the Roman Empire flags off the back of their trucks as they drove down the street. And they would call people who didn't like the Roman Empire snowflakes. That's what the Philippi people were like. The Philippians, you can call them. And so Paul goes there, and he comes across this girl. Now, this girl is young, and she's enslaved. And she's a fortune teller, but she's a really good fortune teller, like a legit fortune teller, not like Madame Cleo or whoever, right? And so she starts to say, as everybody approaches, she starts to go, oh, my gosh, these are the servants of the Most High God. These are them. These are them. And Paul's like, this girl is being exploited. She's being exploited because her owners are making a ton of money off of fortune-telling skills. She's not getting any of it. And so what does Paul do? Paul's like, I got to stop this. And the way I can stop this is by making sure that this girl loses her ability to speak into the future. So her ability is taken away from her. It's miraculous. But Paul is taken by the owners and beaten within an inch of his life, thrown into prison. And then what happens? I like this part just because, you know, it's just... There's an earthquake. <laughs> and where's the earthquake? Only in the prison. And what does it do? It knocks the shackles off of Paul. And so the jailer comes running in, right? And the jailer's like, oh my gosh, the Roman Empire is going to kill me if my prisoners escape. But Paul's like, hey man, relax, because I'm still here. And the jailer's like, why would somebody, why would somebody who has every opportunity to escape stick around for my sake? And Paul, because, and Paul says, because we all have infinite worth in the eyes of God. And so you have infinite worth. And that enslaved girl has infinite worth. And you see, the word becomes flesh, church, when we're able to end exploitation. And we're able to see that everyone has infinite worth. That's when the word becomes flesh. And so Paul travels from Philippi, and he goes to this other place, Corinth. I talked about Corinth a few weeks ago. I said it's kind of like New York, right? It's a financial center. It's a place where massively wealthy people live. And you know what they do? They hoard more wealth because that's what we do when we're massively wealthy. And Paul goes to them. And he tells them this. He says, hey, listen, those ecclesias that we started a few years back, there's hundreds of them right now. Hundreds of them. And they're being led by slaves and women and poor and rich and all the above. But you see, some of these ecclesias, they don't have any money and they're going to, they're going to vanish if we don't step up. Now, I need you to put this into perspective. Can you imagine, can you imagine like going, like, like one of us going to like JP Morgan, Chase, you know, whatever, uh, city, wherever, and going to those executives and asking those executives for money right now for people who don't have enough? Can you imagine that? They might laugh us out of the room. And yet when Paul goes and asks those same people, they get together and they give. And they give so that there is no church, no ecclesia, no person in need. It is a miracle. Think about it. If we asked Wall Street to get together and give money to, to people who are in need, we would consider that a miracle. This is the same miracle. And the miracle is this. The word becomes flesh. And the word becomes flesh when we are willing to say that, yeah, we have enough. And I want to make sure I give to others. That's when the word becomes flesh. And a few more years pass, and there's now thousands of Ecclesians. In fact, they're no longer really called the way. Now they start calling themselves Christians. And Paul's still around, although Paul's old. 
And to be honest, Paul's in trouble. He's in jail again. He's in Rome. This time, I don't think he's going to get out. This time it's bad because there's this new emperor, and the emperor's name is Nero. And Nero's a crazy narcissist. In fact, Nero started a fire in Rome and blamed it on Christians, said that it was Christians that did it. And so, of course, there's this national rhetoric that says Christians are evil. They started a fire. It's awful. Nero is so terrible that Nero actually takes Christians, sets them on fire, and uses them as torches at his parties. That's how terrible Nero is. And so for most Christians, the end is near. It's near for Paul. And so people visit Paul in jail. And they visit Paul in jail, and they start telling stories. They start reminiscing. Hey, Paul, remember that time that, that you preached for so long, and it was so boring that a girl fell off of a ledge and died? And everybody starts laughing because they had to resuscitate this poor girl who had to listen to this boring sermon. I hope I'm not doing that to you, by the way, today. Anyway, they go, Paul, remember when you went to Greece and a mob came up to you and you had to talk your way out of it by telling them that they actually believe in this God, the God that we believe in? And you could see them all laughing and you could hear them all talk, telling stories about when Paul was shipwrecked or when he was snake bit or when he got really sick or whatever the case may be. And I could hear Paul, right? He had the opportunity for every one of those experiences to be bitter. And all throughout Scripture, what Paul shows us is that in each of those opportunities, he gives thanks. He is thankful. Because, see, the Word becomes flesh when in the midst of bitterness, we find those glimpses of joy. We find those fingerprints of God. That's when the Word becomes flesh. The Word becomes flesh because every time Paul was in one of those situations, every single time— there was someone there to help. There was someone there to rescue. There was someone there who gave him what he needed. You see, where it becomes flesh when in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our, our, our bitterness, in the midst of our grief, we can be interdependent, not independent. When you see, church, today there are so many of us who feel alone. And the word becomes flesh when we recognize that we are interdependent, when we can give that to one another. The word becomes flesh when we do see those glimpses of God's fingerprints at work in the midst of our fear. And Paul does that. He dies. In fact, it goes bad. Uh, the temple is, is just is demolished. It's, it's crushed. The, the Roman Empire stops this uprising that happens. Uh, Christians have to scatter. They go all over the place. And we're going to fast forward. We're going to fast forward to 112 A.D., and we fast forward, and where are the Christians? Where are these ecclesias? Do they still exist? Not only do they still exist, they're thriving. And in fact, in 112 AD, in what is now present-day Turkey, there is a governor. The governor's name is Pliny. For any beer drinkers out there, y'all know Pliny. But anyway, there's Pliny. And Pliny writes a letter, and he writes a letter to the new, uh, to the new Caesar. And this new Caesar's name is Trajan. And what he basically says is this. He says, Trajan... I don't know what to do with these Christians. Like, like our economy is actually not doing that well because Christians are so good at caring for one another and caring for our people that we're no longer needed. And so I keep torturing these Christians to try to like find out what they're about. And they just keep telling me that they meet on Sundays, they sing songs together, they eat together, and they make sure that their needs are met. I don't know what to do about them. They seem harmless, and yet they're ruining us. And then Trajan goes on to say, he says, but I did torture and kill two Two slave girls who had the audacity to call themselves deacons. Right? Who would give slave girls the title of deacon? Right? Like, what kind of what kind of community does that? And Trajan writes back, 
And he goes, Pliny, I'm not exactly sure what to tell you. If this works, I guess keep doing it. They're at a loss. They're at a loss because the word became flesh. And they're at a loss to the point where the Roman Empire a couple hundred years later finally throws up its hands and they go, you know what? You're doing this so well that I'm going to go ahead and say Christianity is the national religion. I don't want to know what else to do because, because you know what? Because it wasn't about a religious system. It wasn't about a theological checklist. And yeah, to some extent, it was, it was, it was about politics, but, but not all about politics. And it wasn't about these ecstatic and emotional experiences. I mean, there was some, but it wasn't about that. What it was about, it was about the word becoming flesh. It was pulling resources together so everyone had enough. And it was about radical reconciliation and forgiveness, simply for us saying at this time, hey, I know that I disagree with you and I think you're kind of dumb, but instead of that, I'm going to acknowledge that you're a human being made in the image of God who's scared. And it happened because exploitation was, was ended and it happened uh, because people who were super, super wealthy said, you know what? I'm going to make sure that everybody has enough in this really scary time. And it happened because there were people who said, instead of being bitter, I'm going to be thankful. And there were people who said, you know what? If you need to be bitter and if you need to grieve, I'm going to be here with you. That's called interdependence. And that is where the word becomes flesh. And church, church, the word has become flesh for us. And it has been. And like I said at the beginning of this message, we're tired. You know, at the beginning of this, of this virus, like we all jumped in. We were like, yeah, I want to offer help and I want to do this and I want to do that and I'm going to do this. And, and now it's hard enough for us to turn on our computers just to be with each other. And so what I'm going to encourage us to do today is I'm going to say, listen, we can continue to embody the word becoming flesh. We can do this. We can continue to be the, the thing that, that spreads Christianity. We can continue to be the thing. You ready for this? You didn't think I was going to say it thing that ushers in the next 500 years. We can continue to be that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to challenge you today. And it's a bold challenge. We're in a series called Clarity in Crisis. And so what we're going to ask is this. We are going to ask that you would give an extra gift to our Clarity in Crisis Fund. Now, I want to thank you for giving to Forefront. It's been amazing that you've given to Forefront. You've allowed us to, to do all the things we needed to do to, to survive. Um, and I can't wait for the next month when we can like meet in groups of six and eight again and start doing church non-remotely um, in some ways. And that's what your giving has done. But I want you to give a second gift. I know. I know. And here's what this second gift is going to do. This second gift is going to go towards the word becoming flesh. Every second gift that you give will go towards someone in need in our community who doesn't have enough right now. Maybe someone who has lost a job. Maybe someone who is scared. Maybe someone who is not in, um, uh, not in New York right now because they had to leave this space. Maybe someone just in need or maybe their friends or maybe their family, whoever. Every second gift you give, this clarity and crisis gift, will go directly to them. In fact, when you go to Breeze, there's a little drop-down menu. That drop-down menu says Clarity in Crisis. So you can keep giving your recurring gift, and then you can give a Clarity in Crisis gift, too. And if you uh, give via Venmo, here's what you can do. You can give your regular gift via Venmo and then give your second gift that says Clarity in Crisis. And, and like I said, every single penny of that second Clarity in Crisis gift 
is going to go toward people in need in our community. We are enacting the word becoming flesh. We are enacting the first century church. We're saying, hey, if we have enough, give enough. And here's the thing. If you don't have enough, do not give. Don't do it. But if you're in a place where you can offer extra, offer extra and let's make the word become flesh. I am going to start each week of this series, which is going to be for another four weeks. I'm going to give a clarity and crisis gift. It's going to start with me. I challenge you to do the same. I challenge us to end exploitation. We have uh, community partners. Canva is a community partner of ours, and they work uh, with, with the homeless. And one of the most heartbreaking things right now is something super simple. There are homeless kids, homeless students, who don't have great internet access. And it breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart because my kids are sitting here with their computers, and they're doing their work, and we take it for granted. And there's kids that don't have that. And I want to end that kind of exploitation. And so every time you give to this Clarity and Crisis Fund, you can be sure that every penny will go towards Canva so that kids have access to internet, something that simple, so they're not left behind. Ruth's Refuge, an American Arab Family Support Center, they're working with refugees day in and day out, and they're stuck in this, in this place where, yeah, refugees have come in, but they, they don't have access to jobs, and they're afraid, and some family members have made it, and others have not. And we want to end that kind of exploitation. We want to make sure that they are safe. And so every penny that you give for our Clarity in Crisis will go towards making sure that our partners, Arab American Family Support Center and Ruth's Refuge, they have enough in their emergency fund to help refugees. That's how we want to give. Church, the opportunity is here in the midst of us being tired to continue to live out first century Christianity, to continue to live out in such a way where we get to say we are embodying the word becoming flesh. And then at a time when we're tired and afraid and anxious and we don't know what comes next, I think this is the most important thing we can do for one another. So I'm going to ask you to boldly give. And I'm going to ask us to be like Paul and to be like the way and to give in such a way where people look around and they're like, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why is a group so incredibly interdependent that Jesus shows up? Can we be the word embodying flesh? And so that's the challenge. And if you can't do it this week, maybe next week, maybe the week after. But I'm glad that we have this community. And I'm glad we're not just religious systems and we're not just a theological checklist. I'm glad we're not just emotion. I'm glad that we can be the word embodying flesh. So let's pray this prayer. And let's pray this prayer for my dear friend, Brian McLaren, who says this. He says, let's lift the glass and say, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. We too are rising up. We are rising up indeed. Let us rise up in fellowship and in fellowship indeed. Let us rise up in community, in community indeed. And let us rise up in worship, in worship indeed. And let us rise up in partnership, in partnership indeed. And let us rise up in generosity, in generosity indeed. And whatever hardship we face, we'll keep rising up through the hardship indeed. For we are the embodiment of Jesus Christ. We are the embodiment of the Word made flesh. And everybody said, Amen.